All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I'm giving you my rapid reaction to the Falcons 23 to three preseason loss to the Tennessee Titans on Friday night. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com. RIP, still going strong. However, on Twitter, at FalcFans, and, of course, the host of this illustrious Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's Lockdown Falcons is a rapid reaction. It's a bonus episode for this week, giving you a six episode when we usually go five days a week. But it's Saturday. You guys have... Probably, you know, spent last night watching the Falcons lose uh, to the Tennessee Titans by a score of 23 to three in their preseason opener. It was a fairly one sided affair with the Falcons struggling mightily on offense, but looking pretty sharp on defense. And we'll sort of get further into that. We'll give you a game summary. We'll talk about the players that didn't play and at least my disappointment with not seeing some of the Falcon players out there and their starters will give grades for various phases of the game, looking at the offense, defense, and special teams. And we'll talk about the individual standouts at each position group that I saw in my first watch, watching the game live. And we'll talk in depth about the battle between Felipe Franks and AJ McCarron uh, for the number two quarterback spot, which I'm sure is the sort of lightning rod conversation coming out of this first preseason action, but getting into the game summary again, the Falcons lost 23 to three offense struggled the largely due to porous play of the offensive line. Again, the Falcons defense was impressive at times and they did have some blemishes and that led to the Titans really having no major problems. Didn't really break a sweat in terms of rolling this one with that 23 to three Final score, but of course we know results of preseason games don't really matter. It's all really about the evaluation of players and we just kind of wish for the offense, at least there was a little bit more positive to evaluate pretty sloppy start for both teams uh, on offense where you had a seemingly every other play result in a penalty on the first couple of drives. And then the game kind of broke open um, about midway through the first quarter with a 57 yard punt returned by Titans wide receiver, Chester Rogers that put the Titans in very favorable field position at the Falcons 14 yard line, but the Falcons defense held strong forced the Titans to settle for a 26 yard field goal. Uh, AJ McCarron then threw a pick to start the second quarter on an underthrown pass, trying to push the ball down the field on the third down play that also gave the Titans favorable field position and Cameron Batson beat Chris Williamson on a back shoulder throw for a 15 yard touchdown from Titans quarterback, Logan white Woodside. And the Titans got their next goal on a 42 yard field goal on an 11 play drive where wide receiver Mason Kinsey beat Richie Grant on the fourth and six to extend that drive deep into Falcons territory. McCarron then threw another pick where his arm got hit as he threw and Upon review, the refs saw that the ball touched the ground, so it wasn't ruled a pick. It was instead ruled an incompletion. But then Falcons rookie right tackle Jalen Mayfield got beat on the very next play for a sack, and the Falcons were forced to punt. The Falcons did not convert a third down into this game until two minutes into the third quarter when 
third string quarterback Felipe Franks after he took over from McCarron at halftime, scrambled for a 10 yard gain on the third and nine. That led to their lone points of the game on a 42 yard field goal from Young Way Koo. Franks had a number of big scrambles, including a 52 yarder to open the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, that was the only positive on that drive as the Falcons gained zero yards on their next three plays and, and Koo wind up missing a 55 yard field goal that gifted the Titans with more favorable field position and quarterback Matt Barkley hit tight end Morris Forstall on a 12 yard touchdown where he beat Falcons linebacker Emmanuel Ellaby on a wheel route with about eight and a half minutes left in the game. That was the final score of the game. Thereafter, Franks saw a ton of pressure and the Titans basically just ran out the clock and we got to the final of 23 to three. That's your game summary. And the notable thing, I saw in addition to that was the Falcons pretty much sat everybody of consequence in this game. Titans did sit a lot of their uh, key players as well. We did not see Matt Ryan. We did not see pretty much most of the entrenched starters for the Falcons, including Kyle Pitts. You know, there were some players that sat that we suspected were going to sit due to injuries, players like Quadri Olas and Caleb McGarry, Jason Spriggs, et cetera. Um, but when you look at the players that didn't dress for the game, you're looking at players that for the most part were guys that we largely consider to be locks to make the team. But there were a couple of guys, particularly in the secondary, like Kendall Sheffield and Isaiah Oliver, that we didn't necessarily consider locks that also sat. And, you know, I'm not going to necessarily spend too much time making a big deal about this, but I was a little disappointed that the Falcons didn't play players like Pitts and, and Sheffield, Oliver, Eric Harris, Alameda Zaccheaus, Matt Hennessy. You know, my hope was kind of that we would see some of those guys out there. And I kind of hope that we're going to hear that they were dealing with some minor injuries or whatever. And the team wanted to rest them um, because those guys aren't really proven, you know, they're certainly talented, but they're not really proven at this level. And one of the things that was very frustrating to me in the final years of Dan Quinn and is sort of personified in 2018 in the summer of Ito that never came to be. And for those that don't recall in the, in the lead up to that preseason back in 2018, I knew Devonte Freeman and Tevin Coleman would not get a lot of work in that preseason, which had been the norm for several preseasons leading up to that point. So I assumed, okay, in the first half of these games with the first and second team offensive line, we're going to see a lot of Ito Smith, right? Their fourth round rookie running back. But Ito barely played that summer in the preseason. And the reality um, was throughout that preseason, as well as, you know, subsequent preseason 2019, the Falcons minimized the snaps of a lot of guys that essentially, if they knew that you were going to make the roster, and that was the case with Ito Smith, we knew he was going to make the team. They didn't play those guys. Right. And, you know, it became less about evaluating players and more about getting guys healthy, at least keeping them healthy to get them to week one. And I kind of got a similar vibe with some of the aforementioned players like Pitts and Hennessy and Oliver sitting, um, you know, because they're not proven guys. And you know, I, I feel like they need reps. And I feel like we were robbed of not being able to see Kyle Pitts highlights uh, tonight and especially in front of the home crowd. Um, so it's the preseason. I'm not going to necessarily spend too much time ranting about it, but I, I definitely was in a little bit of a bad mood for the first half of this game because of, you know, those choices and, you know, the struggles of the offense didn't necessarily enhance my mood. It really wasn't until Franks came in and made a couple of plays where I was like, okay, this is, this is the preseason. I, I want to see some fun, you know, and I, I just, I got this vibe you know, that this team was treating this first preseason game like they would like normally teams in the past would treat the fourth and final preseason game. And I, I understand that to a degree, given that you are going to have to make a couple of cuts on Tuesday. You're going to have to get the roster down from 90 to 85 players on Tuesday, I believe. I still feel, though, that, you know, you could have given some of these guys a series or two 
uh, it would it, it wouldn't have hurt your chances of being able to evaluate those guys that are you know on the bubble for at least Tuesday or whatever the case may be. So you know it it would be different to me if if you were in a situation like Dan Quinn was back in 2018 and 2019 when you were you know four or five years into your tenure. But this is a first time coaching staff, so I, I felt like we were robbed a little bit. And so I'm somewhat curious to sort of see how this team and their starters fare next week when they scrimmage against Miami on Wednesday and Thursday. And then Saturday they have to play Miami and, you know, they're, you know, are they going to be cold or are they going to be rusty? Whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, and now I also am assuming that next week is not going to be treated as their dress rehearsal game. Otherwise, they would have gotten those guys reps. So we'll probably see that Cleveland Browns game the week after be treated as that dress rehearsal game. So I'm just saying it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So if and when, you know, people are touting Arthur Smith and, you know, this new coaching staff for enhancing the level of competition for all these roster battles, I'm, I'm probably going to kind of roll my eyes a little bit and say, are they really doing that? But uh, that's where I'll leave that uh, tidbit in that rant. Uh, and we'll give out some grades and talk about which players stood out as we continue today's uh, preseason rapid reaction podcast. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the national shows here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where shows like Peacock and Williamson and the Lockdown NFL Podcast are giving you all those updates that you need from these various preseason games. And you can get the scoop on all the things that happened this weekend by subscribing to the Lockdown NFL Podcast or the Peacock and Williamson Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. So guys, did you know that Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar in the market, has nine delicious flavors? Whether you're a fan of mint brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, salted caramel, coconut, raspberry, orange or strawberry, there's something for everyone. And there's the occasional limited time flavor. They're bringing back coconut almond, peanut butter, brownie for a limited time only. And you'll want to try them all with a mix box. And Built Bars are great because they taste just like a candy bar. They have none of the guilt. They contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. The coconut almond tastes just like an almond joy, but it's not just about built bars. Great taste. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. You can take advantage of this healthy snack with none of the guilt by heading over to built.com. Use the promo code locked 15 and you'll receive 15% off your first order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. So let's give out some game grades. And one of the things I'm going to try to switch up this year with doing these rapid reactions is giving grades for different phases of the game and sort of using broad categories like passing offense, running offense, passing defense, running defense, and special teams. So passing offense, D minus, running offense, C minus. And I think both of those low grades are primarily a reflection on the poor offensive line performance. Very few holes uh, for guys up front in terms of, of the running game as well as they were giving up pressure all game long. The Falcons have wound up giving up five sacks and nine quarterback hits. You know, I don't know the exact tally of who was responsible because the two late uh, game sacks on the Falcons final drive in the fourth quarter, I wasn't really paying attention to who got beat on those plays, but the previous three sacks were allowed by Josh Andrews, Jalen Mayfield and Keon Smith. Drew Dolman started a game at center, gave up some pressure early. You know, the fact that the Falcons were only successful moving the ball thanks to their quarterback scrambling the ball is a reflection of how much those guys were under fire. You know, when you look at the total yards and rushing yards, 63% of the team's total yards uh, on Friday night were off of quarterback scrambles combined from Felipe Franks and A.J. McCarron. 74% of the rushing yards came off of those quarterback scrambles, roughly, I think, 87 yards. Caleb McGarry was the only running back uh, that had a gain on a designed run for more than five yards. You didn't see much from the wide receivers in terms of creating separation. It seemed like, 
you know, anytime the Falcons did get a decent completion through the air, it got called back by a penalty, particularly early on. I know Tajay Sharp had two uh, catches negated um, by penalties early on in the game. But, you know, I do want to re- talk about the quarterback conversation, but I do want to re- revisit that at the end of the episode. Let's move on to the passing defense. I give that a B. You know, it was a, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. I don't think the secondary played great outside of maybe Jalen Hawkins in a, in a flash here from Avery Williams. You know, the Falcons played their safeties like Richie Grant and TJ Green a lot at cornerback. Grant playing some nickel, TJ Green playing outside at cornerback. Again, you know, owed to related to seemingly sitting a whole bunch of corners. And, you know, we had been hearing about Green getting some work at cornerback in practice. And I just kind of assume, oh, you know, that maybe they're dealing with some injuries or whatever. Um, but, you know, maybe it's more of a thing. And it didn't quite go well. It, it didn't seem like the Titans receivers had the same problem the Falcons receivers had as they didn't seem to have too much problem separating from guys. And it seemed like, you know, they were beating guys like Chris Williamson and Delrick Abrams, et cetera. Um, you know, I think the good side of the pass defense was the pass rush. They were able to pressure the quarterback quite a bit. Uh, they were able to dial up blitzes and pressures on third downs. The Falcons got sacks on each of the Titans, two first downs to start the game. And then on the third possession after that big punt return, even though the Titans had a third and eight at the 11 yard line and almost every single time in an NFL game, you would say that's a pass play. And even in a preseason, you would say, let's evaluate our red zone offense and see if our quarterback can complete a pass and, and score and, and try to take a shot here. And the Titans decided instead of, you know, throwing the ball in that third and eight, because their offensive line couldn't hold up. They just ran like a draw player or whatever the case may be. So that was an indicator that how shook they were of the Falcons blitz at that time. You know, Jonathan Bellar got the first sack, uh, Michael Walker and, and at, Ade Ogundeji split the second sack. Jalen Hawkins uh, got a sack on a clean rush up the middle. Sharif Miller got a sack late in the game. And so the team ended up with four sacks and seven quarterback hits. And a lot of that pressure came from Dean Pease's blitzing. So thumbs up for Dean Pease. You guys know I was a little skeptical about the whole Dean Pease hype going into this game, but certainly won my approval, certainly able to create a lot of pressure against backup caliber players. So we'll see if he can do that against starters later this year. So the pass rush was on point, but the coverage was not. They gave up two passing touchdowns where a 6-1 Chris Williamson got beat on a back shoulder throw by a 5-8 Cameron Batson. Then Emmanuel Ellaby got smoked on a wheel route by Miller Forstall as he lost sight of the receiver because he was peeking in the backfield expecting a quick throw into the flat. Um, so you, you kind of strike a balance, at least I do, with a B. You look at passer rating and you don't see a pass defense that played particularly well. You look at adjusted net yards per attempt or Anya and which factors in sacks. Uh, so it makes their defensive efficiency against the Titans passing game look much, much better. Um, you know, it's funny how that works where you get pressure on the quarterback and suddenly, you know, the opposing team's passer efficiency metrics take a dip in, in your uh, passing efficiency metrics on defense, you know, increase. So moving on to the run defense, I gave them a C minus, you know, I thought there were some standout players for the Falcons. You know, they had a, a number of tackles for loss. You know, Dorian Etheridge, the linebacker, the undrafted free agent out of Louisville, had three tackles for loss. He showed good range, speed, was able to shoot some gaps and, and make some solid tackles in pursuit. You know, for the most part, unless the Falcons were generating those negative plays, though, uh, the Titans really had no problem running the ball on them. They, they finished with 138 yards rushing. It really was 140 until you count the kneel downs at the end of the game. 
And, you know, it seemed like they were getting three to seven yards a pop pretty much on every single run. So that's why I give the run defense, uh, despite some flashes, a C minus because, you know, that was just not acceptable. Um, Special teams, I give a C, uh, just kind of a middling grade for me. You know, they had a big return that they gave up on that early punt that set up the Titans first field goal. You know, the coverage wasn't great on that play, but I don't think the punter Cam Nizalek, uh did them any favors by kicking it over the middle of the field, which you don't typically do in the NFL. You're almost always angling punts. And I didn't really see that many instances where I thought Nizalek did a good job doing that. You always want to kind of angle those punts because you want to pin guys against the sideline rather than getting basically free reign over the middle of the field where they have so much room to operate. Um, but I think, you know, his actual kicks were good. He got good hang time. He got good distance. He just needs to do a little bit better at improving his directional kicking. And after the game, I saw something on Twitter where Arthur Smith indicated that they wanted to increase the number of returns. And so maybe they instructed Nizalek to, to kick it straight. But I just sort of question that a little bit because you don't have a proven punter. And, you know, I know you're kind of strike the balance between like trying to evaluate the punter and trying to evaluate your coverage units. But I feel like you have more proven players in terms of coverage units. You don't know what your punter is. And so seeing if he can do that directional kicking in games, in the stadium, in Mercedes Benz, et cetera, to me seems like a I that's the strategy I would go. But their strategy of just letting him kick it straight is defensible. But, I, you know, I question that a little bit where I. I want to see what our punter can do because that to me is a bigger question. You know, Koo missed his long field goal of 55 yards, but he had distance, but it was a wide left uh, made, you know, the other kick that he had Marcus Murphy had a running into the kicker penalty late in the game. My recollection was that the, the kicker made the kick, but that wiped out that field goal. Titans got a new set of downs and they scored like two plays later on that four star touchdown. Um, you know, and it was it was a nasty play because it looked like he broke the kicker's leg, um, taking him out uh, on that particular play. You know, Roland and Avery Williams both got work as the punt returners. You know, nothing flashy. You know, neither really stood out. Neither really separated themselves in that competition. On the punt coverage teams, we talked about the roles for gunners and personal protectors. Richie Grant got the start as the personal protector. Uh, not surprising. Uh, oftentimes, you'll see teams use their backup safeties as personal protectors. And if Richie Grant's not going to be a starter, and it would seem he's not going to be based off of his performance tonight and the fact that Eric Harris was sat, um, it would make sense that Richie Grant would be in the mix there. Um, Williams, Avery Williams, and, and Frank Darby were the quote-unquote starting gunners on the punt team. John Rain led the team with two special teams tackles. So that's where we'll leave it with the grades. And we'll talk a little bit more about the individual standout players going position by position, talking a little bit about touching quickly on the players that stood out or did not stand out in my eyes. And then we'll take a deeper look into the battle between the quarterbacks and whether, you know, Felipe Franks is coming for AJ McCarron's job as Matt Ryan's backup. But before we get into that, guys, in addition to those national podcasts that I plugged earlier, you also want to check out the Lockdown Fantasy Football Podcast hosted by Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. He's giving you that edge and certainly you want to get Vinny's thoughts on the standouts in some of these preseason games that will enhance your ability to to build that draft board or to to stack that roster with your fantasy team this upcoming season, subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. BetOnline gives you the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs. And there's no time like now to get started at BetOnline. While UFC 265 and the Summer Olympics are in our rearview mirror, 
College football, pro football are just around the corner. NBA Summer League is ongoing, and baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all that action at Online. Get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. If you think Arthur Smith will win Coach of the Year, Matt Ryan, MVP, or Kyle Pitts, Offensive Rookie of the Year, you can bet on that. If you think Matt Ryan's going to have 5,000 yards passing, Mike Davis is going to rush for 1,000 yards, or Calvin Ridley's going to have 1,500 yards receiving, you can bet on all that. Just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code Locked on, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, that's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's go position by position, talking about some of the individual standouts. We'll circle back to the quarterback position, so we'll skip that for now. Running back, you know, Caleb Huntley was the only one that seemed to find any daylight. Hawkins really didn't do anything. Foreman had one decent run where he had to break like six tackles just to get four yards. You know, at wide receiver, Tajay Sharp seemed like the only guy that looked like he was getting consistently open. He had two catches for 25 yards negated by penalties. Jawan Green led the team with five targets, but only caught one of them and seemed to struggle with separation on most of those targets. At tight end, you, you saw them spread the ball around a little bit to John Rain and Parker Hesse and Ryan Becker. Um, but you know, the thing that stood out to me at this position was rain got flagged for a bunch of holding calls. The offensive line was struggle city. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily king on one particular player in the first half. Um, but you know, Beaver started at left tackle, Josh Andrews at left guard, Chris drew Dahlman. I'm sorry. At center, Sam Jones at right guard and Jalen Mayfield at right tackle pretty much saw everybody struggling except for Jones, but he could have also struggled pretty easily and I could have just missed it. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, I told you so with Jalen Mayfield as far as his struggles at right tackle. But, you know, I noticed a lot of people now suddenly realize, oh, maybe Jalen Mayfield's not a, a great tackle prospect. Uh, so we'll see how, if and when he can improve there or if he'll get looks at guard moving forward because, you know, Josh Andrews struggled mightily, which again should be no, no surprise. Right. So the left guard position very much remains a vacancy. Drew Dolman played exclusively at center as far as I can tell tonight and, you know, didn't do anything that really stood out to me in a, in a positive way. Um, the only player I did key on in this game and I started keying on him in the second half when we when got in the game was Ryan Newsel, who, who came in at that left guard position. I thought he played well. Uh, he got a couple of nice pancake blocks. Uh, he was able to hit some of his assignments on the second level. So if, if anybody on this offensive line played well, I'll, you know, I will fully expect you know, Nuzel will have the highest grade uh, um, on pro football focus among the offensive linemen. Moving on to the defensive line, I thought Marlon Davidson played really well. He flashed a bunch, you know, and uh, again, I'm wondering why Davidson played and Hennessy didn't. But, you know, Jonathan Ballard, John Kaminsky popped early on. Taquan Graham popped as well. Those guys were disruptive at times. You know, as far as the edge rushers go, Ogundeji played well. Uh, Brandon Copeland played. I didn't see him make too many plays. JTM had a couple of nice stops early in the game. Sharif Miller had that nice sack late in the game at linebacker. You know, this was probably the strongest unit of the night in terms of, of positive plays. Dorian Etheridge was lights out and certainly a candidate to be defensive MVP for the night. Michael Walker had a, a nice couple of blitzes, had that half sack. Errol Thompson also made some plays when he was able to play downhill and, and played physical cornerback position. As I said, was not great. Avery Williams was the only player that really stood out. He had that late, pass breakup where he showed good technique on a go ball in the end zone where he was able to wall off the defender um, on the sideline and nearly had an interception on that play. Other than that, wasn't too impressed with these cornerbacks. If Darren Hall played, I, I completely missed him. Um, safety again, besides Etheridge, uh, Jalen Hawkins probably was the, 
player that flashed the most of anybody on the defense. It was like if I was going for the trifecta, it was Dorian Etheridge, Jalen Hawkins, and Marlon Davidson in no particular order as the three standouts to me on the night. You know, I don't think Richie Grant played all that great either when he was playing as a nickel cornerback or as a safety. I thought Dwayne Johnson, he flashed a couple of times, so he was okay in the second half. I I saw J.R. Pace flash on a couple of plays as well at the safety position. But other than that, not a whole lot. So let's talk about the quarterback competition between A.J. McCarron and Felipe Franks. Uh, and, And if you didn't get the memo from earlier in the game with the summary, Franks, I mean, Franks didn't play great, but he outplayed McCarron. You know, I, I don't I'm not going to sit here and say A.J. McCarron played well. Uh, he did not. But you also have to factor in that he had had three completions for like 31 yards and an eight yard scramble negated by penalties. And, you know, I, I don't think McCarron played as poorly as probably you'll hear people say if you didn't catch the game. Um, and certainly he did not play as poorly as I think the box score seemed to indicate. He finished with a passer rating of 15. Um, you know, I, I thought he was out there being aggressive despite playing behind a very porous offensive line and having absolutely no running game and having little to no receivers creating any separation for him. You know, his first interception was him trying to make a play on a third and 16. He was trying to push the ball down the field to John rain. I don't mind the aggressiveness. He just got to make a better throw. He underthrew that pass his second interception, which was ruled incomplete after a review, his arm was hit and, and basically the ball died in the air because he wasn't able to follow through on that throw. You know, Again, he was aggressive, trying to push the ball down the field rather than take easy checkdowns. And like for me, the one knock I always had on AJ McCarron when I've seen him play in the past was he tend to be a little bit conservative. So I'm not too mad at him for trying to make things happen and playing a little bit more aggressive. Uh, you know, Franks certainly had the splash plays as a runner. I thought his plays as a passer had left a lot to be desired. You know, it was his first NFL action, so you have to cut him some slack. Um, but he wasn't particularly decisive on any of his reads or throws and basically if he wasn't running it he wasn't really doing a whole lot his mobility certainly was impressive it was reminiscent of a couple of summers ago when the Falcons picked up Danny Etling you know I was going to bring him up all right I I got some Matt Schaub takes coming up as well uh but you know they picked up Danny Etling he basically had like a week between where he signed before he was forced into I think it was less than a week maybe like four days or something like that where he had to play in the preseason game and he struggled in that game throwing the ball um but he did look good when he was asked to play on the move with rollouts and being able to use his legs and that's where he was a lot more comfortable and that's kind of what Franks was tonight to me where a guy that didn't really master the offense but when he could move and and basically use his legs to make plays he made plays um, and so I think it does present an interesting dilemma for this coaching staff in terms of who's going to be their QB2 obviously we still have games to be played and so nothing will be decided tonight but I know the popular opinion is going to be, oh, Frank's obviously should be the QB2 based off of tonight's action. And it reminds me of another issue I brought up with Deidre Sonat a couple of days ago when we released him. And going back to something I said about that 2018 draft where the Falcons had this massive need at D-tackle. And I think when the Falcons drafted Deidre Sonat, fans kind of hyped up Sonat's potential to fill that hole uh, because, you know, nature abhors a vacuum or, or whatever the staying is. Um, and I feel like that kind of happened with Franks this summer where people were so desperate for the Falcons to draft a developmental quarterback this year and they got Franks. And so I think a lot of fans are 
probably building up Franks to be more than what he is as this sort of heir apparent to Matt Ryan. And so I think like the Venn diagram of people that wanted the Falcons to take a quarterback this past April and those that want Franks to be QB two is like that overlap is like a hundred percent. Now that's not saying that everybody who wants Franks to be QB two wanted the Falcons to draft a quarterback, but I would bet that everybody that wanted the Falcons to draft a quarterback does want Franks to be QB two. So that's what I'm trying to get at. And so I think the dilemma for the Falcons is based off of tonight. I don't really think Franks is, is ready to operate an NFL offense from my first viewing of this game. It did look like McCarron missed some easy checkdowns because he was looking to push the ball downfield, but it looked like from my first viewing that Franks missed some open receivers downfield because he was locking on his first target and really wasn't seeing the field. It seemed like he was missing reads and even on plays where the Falcons were running play action, where you have defined reads. It's, it's as simple as it's going to get at for a quarterback, which is why play action is so effective because you have basically one, two reads, high, low, low, high reads. And even then he seemed like he was missing some of those reads on, on a couple of those plays. And so we'll just sort of see how that develops in subsequent preseason games. If, if this is the best of what Felipe Franks has to offer, if this is the best of what AJ McCarron has offered, or there's more uh, to that. But right now I don't think McCarron's grip on the number two quarterback job is as tenuous as probably people perceive immediately watching the game. It's kind of a similar dynamic to previous summers where I think a lot of people were clamoring for Kurt Bankert to be the QB two over Matt Schaub, even though, you know, we saw Schaub in that 2019 season really operate this offense at a high level. And for the most part, Banker was fairly middling in throughout the preseason. Like he certainly had some great moments, some really good games, but basically for every great quarter of football you saw from Kurt Banker in the preseason, you saw like three mediocre ones. And that's not really ideal for, you know, your number two quarterback if you're looking for someone that can manage a game. And so I'm curious if this new regime is looking for that, right? How do they handle this thing? I don't think AJ McCarron is on Matt Schaub's level, right? But he does have NFL experience. And in a world where Matt Ryan does miss some time this year, you you can at least trust that experience will allow McCarron to at least somewhat competently manage games. You know, we're not going to expect any 460 yard games from AJ McCarron uh, moving forward like we got from Matt Schaub, but, you know, maybe he can get 260 yards or something like that. So, you guys know, I've always stated that Matt Schaub was an underappreciated and, and high level backup. You know, I always said that if you were ranking QB2s 1 through 32, you know, Schaub would have consistently, over those last five years that he was in Atlanta, would have consistently ranked in that 7 to 10 range. Now, if I was ranking McCarron, in terms of my perception of him, you know, where he actually ranks, I have to go and look at the actual who's actually number two quarterbacks now. But like my perception of him is he's probably somewhere in like the 12 to 18 range, maybe 12 to 20 range. Um, and based off of tonight, even though Frank's had his moments, I would probably say he's probably in that 24 to 32 range. And so I know for most NFL teams, you know, especially those that have playoff aspirations, they would prefer to keep the veteran like McCarron. But I do wonder if this new regime is going to go in the opposite direction because they do want to have a developmental quarterback and have that guy get those reps as that number two quarterback, even if they're only going to be mental reps this upcoming season. So if that is the case, then, you know, for me personally, that would be like reason number 903, why I think the team is kind of making it up as they go along. But I'm sure others would read that differently. You know, I know the fan base wants sex appeal when it comes to challenging that backup quarterback. But the minute, you know, that guy's going to wind up challenging the starter. They're like, no, I don't know. Moss. I don't want any of that. So it's just funny to me to see people that are pro Franks and anti Justin Fields. Like, I feel like it's impossible to have that sort of stance for me personally. Like 
I don't know, but we'll, we'll see the bears play Saturday at one uh, against Miami. So I, I do want to watch that game, not only because I, I do want to see Justin Fields play, um, but I also want to see if Miami plays their starters and, and whether or not that's going to lead to them, you know, working over the Falcons starters in, in the, in the Wednesday and Thursday scrimmage this upcoming week, because they're not going to be as rusty going, you know, playing live uh, or whatnot. So we'll just sort of have to see how that all goes with the quarterback competition. Obviously there's more football to be played this preseason. Um, but I do wonder if next week against Miami, we'll see, you know, the starters get a significant chunk of that game or we'll, we see them get the one or two series that I thought we would see tonight. And then if we'll see that third preseason game where we'll get to see them play the entire half. So we'll just sort of have to see how the Falcons handled their preseason action um, this summer. And certainly Monday's episode of lockdown Falcons, you'll, I'll have rewatched the game. And so you'll get further insights into this game and, and sort of my second thoughts on a rewatch uh, and whatnot. So look forward to that. If you have any questions, if you have any feedback that you want to provide, if you disagree with me on anything or you agree with me on something, I'd love to hear from you. Of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great weekend. Till then. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.